I'm curious, how many of you think you watch too much TV? Can you raise your hand? <laughs> All right, I'm raising my hand. Uh, I, I usually don't do sermons uh, kind of along these lines, so brace yourself. I've got some wild stories today. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about TV. But we're going to talk first about the Word of God. Paul is Philippians and Philippians 4. And Paul is giving a simple three-part prescription to enjoy God's peace. Now, I don't know if you've noticed this, but we live in a troubling world. <laughs> the world is, <laughs> world is not geared for us to have peace, but it is geared to give us trouble. It seems like Murphy's Law. Whenever you get one problem fixed, there's two or three other problems that crop up. And there are problems all around us. And many times we feel overwhelmed by them. Maybe it's just a whole bunch of small problems that have piled up, but collectively it looks like a, a mountain of impossibility. Or maybe you're facing a huge problem that you just look at that one problem and it looks like a, a mountain of impossibility. And I think we all know this. The first step that we are to take when we are troubled is step number one, is pray. And let's, let's face it, when we, when we face a big problem, a huge problem, we are prone to pray. We are motivated to pray. But when we face a whole bunch of small problems, we need to ask ourselves, have we prayed about all these things? You see, it's easy to neglect prayer when it comes to the small problems. And I, I think the reason for that is a lot of times we're tempted to say, well, I'll just, it's no big deal. I'll just handle it myself. I'll take care of it. But God wants us to pray about everything. Can I get an amen? amen. And uh, whether it's a big problem or a small problem, he wants to pray, uh, us to pray about it all. Now, uh, when we pray, we must be careful not to fall into a trap. We we think uh, that if, if we pray, that's all we need to do. You know, that we can pray all of our troubles away. And uh, so we pray and we pray and we pray some more. And in doing so, we may end up neglecting the other two important parts of the peace prescription. There's three parts to the peace prescription. And so today we're going to look at the last two parts of the peace description. And I want you, if, you, if you're not there yet, uh, turn to Philippians 4, 8 and 9. Philippians 4, 8 and 9. And uh, I want you to keep in mind that verse 8 has been called the shortest biography of Jesus in Scripture. The shortest biography of Jesus in Scripture. And all the qualities that verse 8 mentions are found in Jesus Christ. And, and so verse 8 says, And now, dear brothers and sisters... Let me say one more thing as I close this letter. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right. Think about things that are pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you learned from me and heard from me and saw me doing, and the God of peace will be with you. That's a wonderful promise, isn't it? You do all these things, and the God of peace will be with you. So part two of the peace prescription is to choose carefully what you're going to think about. We need to take control of our mind. After all, it's our mind. It's not someone else's. 
Don't let someone else control your mind. Um, you know, our thoughts matter. Our thoughts matter. What we think about matters. And we can control our thoughts. We're not zombies marching to the beat of a worldly drummer. At least that's not where we're called to be. And it's okay to say to yourself, I'm not going to go down that road. I'm not going to travel down that thought path because it's just going to bring me down. Have you noticed a spiritual warfare that takes place when we begin to control our thoughts and not let the evil thinking or worldly thinking take control? It's not a piece of cake. You know, Satan tries to get us off from controlling our thoughts and, and controlling what we focus on. You know, it's not always easy to think about the things that are pure and lovely and of good repute. It's a real challenge to concentrate on things that uh, are honorable and excellent and praiseworthy. It boils down to a constant choice. Do we want to think higher thoughts or do we want to think the lower thoughts? And the lower thoughts seem to pervade the world around us. It's a default setting of the world. Now, when it comes to the influence of the world, how much emphasis is put on the good stuff, on the higher thoughts, on the things that are good and lovely and praiseworthy and, and true? You know, if you, if you watch the news, it doesn't take very long at all to hear reports of lying and cheating and thievery and drunk driving and murderers and all kinds of horrible things. It's not tremendous. It's terrible. I think it's kind of ironic. A lot of times I'll watch uh, Channel 26, um, the local Fresno news station, because they give a lot of weather reports, and I'm interested in knowing what the weather is going to happen. I'm so thankful they didn't really get the weather completely right this time. <laughs> I'm glad I didn't have to shovel my driveway. But the ironic thing about Fox 26 is that it says that it is the uh, have a great day. That's a theme. Have a great day. You know, if you're watching the news, you know, have a great day. They say that a bunch of times. Have a great day. It's ironic that they're seeing all the news about people who are not having a great day. They're having a horrible day. They're having a terrible day. It's not a great day. <laughs> But they have a great day, you know, watch the news. You know, there are a lot of people who aren't having a great day. Now, there are a lot of good things that are happening in different communities, but the news doesn't give much attention to that. You know, for every one story of good news, there's probably at least nine stories of bad news. Maybe it's more of a ratio of, one good story to 20 bad stories, or maybe one good story to 50 bad stories. Uh, it doesn't take too terribly long to watch the news, and soon we begin to forget the things that we were praising the Lord for. We need to latch on to our praises and not let them go, because if we start looking around, it doesn't take too terribly long, and we're not praising the Lord anymore. You know, we have to control our focus and it's not easy to do that with the uh, pervasive media that's around. If we don't monitor, if we don't control our focus, if we just let the soundtrack of the world flood into our brains, we will not have the peace of God. Of course, we, we do need to pray, but we also need to what? We need to 
think about those things that God wants us to think about. You can pray all day long, but if you don't control your mind, if you don't control what you focus on, you don't control what you think about, then that peace of God gets frustrated. We'll forget what we were praising the Lord about if we don't set our mind on things above. You know, that, well, you know I'm, I'm trying to just find one little thing to start the day out praising the Lord and keep coming back to that periodically through the day and let that set my mood and set my perspective for the whole day. You know, I came across a couple of illustrations. For, they're kind of extreme, actually. But uh, I, I want to share this one. This happened a little over 30 years ago in a place called Hong Kong. It was, uh, it was reported by the Reuters news agency that a man was walking near a military firing range and he found a 66 million millimeter anti-tank rocket. Now he was a gun enthusiast, so he brought it home. He polished the live rocket. It contained about 12 ounces of high explosive and placed it on top of his television. One day during a probe, of attempted robbery charges, the police uh, searched the 22-year-old man's apartment and found and confiscated the rocket. Had the rocket ever fired, it would have demolished the apartment. Now, why would someone willfully bring such a deadly force into his living room? Few people have explosives on top of their televisions, but many have deadly spiritual weapons in their televisions. They bring spiritual danger to themselves and to their family when they turn on the tube because they watch programs that can destroy their values. Now think about that. If we, how many programs can we watch that basically try to destroy Christian values? Would you say most of them? Yeah, yeah, I think so. You see, the world's background noise often takes away a sense of the blessing of God's calling. God calls us to live in his presence continually, to feel his presence. We feel his peace. We have joy. And I, I, I shared this illustration because I know it's a little bit extreme, but I, I want us to visualize something different. And Are you willing to take a challenge here with me? When you, when you watch TV, I want you to picture on top of your TV that bomb. Okay, that artillery. Just picture it. Because I want you to realize that what you're watching uh, probably wants to blow up your Christian values. It, it often takes away our sense of peace in the Lord Jesus when we watch TV. Now, I, I'm not going to say, I'm not going to lay down a law. I'm not going to say, oh, you can never watch TV. Uh, you know, we can't find anything in the Bible about, you know, don't watch anything on TV. But, uh, you know, some people, they, they've been in a, a church that has, or maybe they come from a background, has made that kind of law. And, and, and the danger is that they feel maybe a little bit more spiritual because I don't do this. I don't watch TV. And I don't want us to fall into that trap. And like I said, I know I watch more TV than I should. There's maybe only a couple of shows on TV worth watching besides golf. How come you guys are laughing? Because golf is one of the most boring things to watch on TV, right? <laughs> but there's maybe only a couple of shows worth watching on TV. 
Uh, and those shows sometimes are borderline. Now, I'm going to quote something that J. Vernon McGee said, and it was probably close to 40 years ago. TV wasn't half as bad as it is today, back then. Uh, McGee said this, quote, uh, Hollywood ran out of ideas years ago. Television is boring. It cannot help but repeat the same old thing. So what have they done? They have substituted filth for genius. Someone has called it the great wasteland. It's like looking at an arid desert, and yet millions keep their eyes glued to it. Their minds are filled with dirt and filth and violence, end quote. Now, I lived in Lancaster for six years. I, I know what an arid desert looks like. And I was not tempted ever when I lived in Lancaster just to put out a, a lawn chair and stare out at that, that desert like it was fascinating. I didn't have my eyes glued to the desert. But, you know, we're awfully blessed to live where we are today, right? This morning, I uh, was waiting for Nancy to fix breakfast, and I could just look out our front window and see the beautiful hillside, the mountain, with all the snow on the trees. I mean, it was gorgeous. It was gorgeous. How many of you have a good view from your house? Yeah, most of us do. We do. Well, I, I'm going to share my opinion here. Uh, so take it for what it's worth. But a lot of TV shows, a lot of times will show pictures of skyscrapers and tall buildings and, you know, a big city, like we're supposed to be impressed by that. You know, they have pictures of, you know, New York City or whatever. I don't know about you. I'd rather see the mountains and oceans, and I'd, I'd rather see God's handiwork than to look at what man has created. I think what God has created is so much better than what man has created. So I'm not impressed with cities. I know in my 50th reunion, high school reunion, there was a, a girl, that her name was Jenny Talley, and, and uh, she had won the prize for coming the greatest distance to the reunion. The reunion was down in Southern California. She came all the way from New York City. I'd lost track. She used to live in Orange County. And I lost track. She's in New York City. So I asked her, I probably shouldn't have done this. It was probably a Norwegian thing to do. I said, do you like living in New York City? And kind of took her back a little bit. And she said, yeah, I do. I said, you and I are opposites. And I told her how just a couple of weeks before that, I was walking, you know, the, um, there's a, a road that's over by uh, the Madeira County Centers over in Oakhurst. It kind of goes up the hill. There's nothing around there. It's just, you know, empty lots and all that. And uh, I, I, uh, I said to her, yeah, I was walking up this road and along came a couple of bear, you know, there was a a mama bear and junior bear, and, and it was so beautiful. You know, we live in opposite worlds. I would rather see what God would create as opposed to what man creates. I came across another, are you tired of wild illustrations yet? There's, I got one more, one more. Hang on. Now, it's true story. This is going to sound like what's made up. There was a French man, his name was Michel Lotito, and he has an iron gut. For some reason, he likes to eat metal. In the past 25 years, he has eaten 11 bicycles, seven shopping carts, a metal coffin, a cash register, a washing machine, a television, and 660 feet of fine chain. 
Lotito said, it wasn't easy eating his first bicycle. I started with the metal and moved on to the tires, he recalls, and it was very difficult to stay that extra day to finish off the rubber. Metal's, metal taste is tasteless, but rubber is horrible. Now, Lutito swallows pieces of tire and frame together. Don't try this at home, okay? Uh, none of that can compare with his biggest meal. He ate a Cessna. That's right. He had eaten an entire light airplane, 25,000 pounds of aluminum, steel, vinyl, plexiglass, and rubber. With a meal like that, he cuts the metal into pieces about the size of his fingernail and consumes about two pounds a day. Now, most people would agree that Michael Lutito has an unhealthy appetite. You know, and, and, and the reason why I bring out, out that story is that when we're First, you know, first believers, our background as, as people who come out of worldliness, we have an unhealthy appetite for the things of this world. But that appetite is to change. You know, God did not create airplanes for us to eat. You know, he created healthy food for us to eat. And spiritually speaking, the healthy food is what? God's word. He's given us his word to consume. So, let me ask you this. How much time on an average day do you spend eating? Okay, you don't have to answer that. I just, I just thought of myself, okay? I was writing this sermon. I thought, how much time am I going to spend eating this? Well, I, I probably spent 15 minutes this morning eating my, my scrambled eggs and toast. And, uh, you know, if I go out to a junk food, fast food restaurant, you know, it takes me about 15 minutes to eat the meal there. And, and maybe if I'm real hungry at night, I wolf down my wife's wonderful dinner in about 20 minutes. So that doesn't even include snack time. And so in about uh, a little under an hour, I've eaten three meals. Now, what impact would it have on our lives if we spent the same amount of time each day feasting on the word of God? on the spiritual food, the bread of heaven. How much, how much would that impact our lives if we spent that amount of time, the same amount of time that we spend eating physical to, uh, food, breakfast, lunch, and dinner? It would change our, our thinking, wouldn't it? It would impact, God would imprint his word on our minds and on our hearts, and he'd be changing us and transforming us more and more into the image of Jesus Christ. I'm not going to lay down a law. Just think about it, though. Think about how important the Word of God is. And, you know, can you find an extra, you know, half hour, hour to spend in the Word? Now, some of you, your younger people, might be thinking, Dave, you are so old school, I hardly watch any TV at all. And I, I understand I heard, I heard on the news probably a couple weeks ago that the average American today spends close to or maybe just a little over three hours on social media looking at their phone or other, other you know, devices. Is social media, you guys weren't shocked by that stat, were you? It's not hard to believe. 
You go to a little restaurant, how many people are looking at their phone? Almost everyone. Um, is social media spiritually healthier than TV? And you, you, might, you might say, well, yeah, you know, maybe, maybe not. But I heard that one of the CEOs of a social media company, this is years ago, would not let his own children have a phone and would not let them watch the stuff from his company. Wouldn't let them watch social media. And I've been told, I don't know this because I'm not a tech genius or anything like that, but I've been told that uh, there's a feature on the phone, if your kids have a phone, you can limit how long they can be on social media a day. Have you heard of that? My wife has. Maybe that's a feature that we ought to put on our own phones, right? For ourselves. Three hours a day. Now, Proverbs, let me bring it, let me bring it to what the scripture says. Proverbs 23.7 says that as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. You see, our thinking determines what kind of person we are. What we think about will determine who we are. You know, I like what a commentary by Erdman said. It said, there's nothing of greater importance than controlling our thoughts, having proper thinking. The objects on which a man allows his mind to dwell determine his acts, his career, his destiny. Now, I'm going to put that in simple terms. We end up doing what we're thinking. We do as we think. We follow through on what we focus on. Isaiah said it well in Isaiah 26.3. He said, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. When we focus on God, we experience God's peace. You know, if we have garbage thoughts, what kind of life are we going to have? We're going to have a garbage life. Garbage thoughts produce garbage life, garbage living. There was a former pastor at the church up at Bass Lake. He hasn't been up there now for a long time. He moved and had a ministry in Texas. Um, but he would often say this. He'd say, we gaze upward, we only glance downward. We only glance around a short period of time. But we fix our gaze on the things above. We fix our eyes on heaven. We concentrate on heavenly things. We look to Jesus. We need to get enamored with the things above, not the things here on earth. Now, Paul put it in terms which connect all of this, what we've been talking about, with spiritual warfare. It says, the weapons of our, this is 2 Corinthians 10, 4 through 5. He says, the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. What's Paul saying? I make sure everything I think, all my thoughts, uh, follow, fit, fit in with Jesus. That uh, they are in line with God's will, being obedient to Jesus. And so... I think he would say to us today, let Christ conquer our faulty thinking and let Christ replace it with his flawless thinking. Get rid of the faulty thinking and let God put his flawless thinking, 
his thoughts into our hearts. Now, I think the first step in doing that is to recognize garbage thinking for what it is. It's garbage. I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you guys a challenge. I hope, you, I hope you take me up on this. Now, I didn't lay down a law that you can't watch TV. But if you do watch TV this week, I want you to know it's okay to talk to your TV. Some people might think you're crazy when you do this. But it's okay to say to your TV when you hear something that isn't true or honorable or lovely or pure or of good repute, it's okay to say to your TV, that's garbage. All right? That might sound kind of weird. I'm not doing that. That sounds stupid. Uh, now, 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 give me a break here. How long would it take? Just try it. Just try it. How long would it take you to watch TV before you say to the TV, that's garbage, ten times? I want you to find out. I want you to try that. Do you think you'll make it three hours? Do you think you'll make it two hours? This probably will only take about 10 minutes, probably. How many of you are willing to give this a try sometime this week? All right, we've got, we've got a few. All right, thank you, thank you. Now, here's a second part of the challenge. When you do that, will you, uh, when you get to your 10th time of saying, that's garbage, will you turn off the tube? Let me ask you this. This is just, this is probably the weirdest sermon I've ever preached. As I'm, as I'm going through this, I, I don't know where I came up with this stuff. But let me ask you this. How do people normally react to garbage? They're disgusted by it. It's gross. Do they set it up in the middle of the room and stare at it? I hope not. Maybe you know someone who does that, but I, I hope that none of us are doing that. If you have garbage, you, what, you take it outside, you put it in the garbage can, and eventually you take the garbage can to the, to the dump. Now, someone could, you know, and I know if all, you, all of you have a dear heart and you're loving people, but someone can make me a tuna fish sandwich and even put it on a nice plate and put it underneath my nose so I could smell it. But I'll tell you, I hate tuna fish. I hate the way it smells. People say that's food. To me, it smells like garbage. And, and I, could, I could smell that tuna fish all day long. I would never be tempted to eat it. That's kind of what t TV is, right? It's like tuna fish. All right. Third part of Paul's pizza prescription is found in verse 9. Keep putting into practice all that you learned from me and heard from me and saw me doing and the God of peace will be with you. Paul was not only inspired by the Holy Spirit to teach what he was teaching about thinking godly thoughts, but he was inspired by the Holy Spirit to live an inspiring life. He lived out what he was telling the Philippians to do. He was a man who controlled what he thought about, and because of that, he lived the kind of life that people could follow him. He, he set an example for people. You see, the condition of our Thought life, um, that impacts how we live. And because Paul was focused on Christ and he controlled what he thought about, it came out and he, he lived a Christ-like life. And that can happen not just for Paul, but for every single believer. If we control what we think about, we're, we're going to end up living out the Christ-like 
life. And so I came across a third wild story. I hope this doesn't peg anyone's needle, but it's a true story. It happened way back in October 29th, 1994. A story came out um, from the Reuters News, and it was about a Chinese woman named Zhang Mihua, who began to suffer mysterious symptoms when she turned 20. She was losing the ability to nimbly move her legs and arms. Doctors could not find the cause, and the symptoms continued. Two decades passed, and Zhang began to suffer chronic headaches. Again, she sought help from the doctors, and this time a CAT scan and x-ray found the source of of the woman's mysterious symptoms. A rusty pin was lodged in her head. The head of the pin was outside the skull and the shaft penetrated into her brain and doctors performed surgery and, and successfully extracted the pin. The news agency reported that the doctors were amazed that a woman could live so long a time with a rusty pin stuck in her brain. After noticing the uh, position of the pin in her skull, they speculated that the pin had entered her skull sometime soon after birth and before her skull had hardened. Zhang now was fully recovered. She had no memory of being pierced by a pin in the head. Now, this is the application to that story. Like a rusty pin in that woman's brain, unwholesome thoughts, bad attitudes, painful memories can lodge in our minds and cause us chronic problems. God tells us to renew our minds. You know, uh, we got to control our thoughts. We need to make sure that rusty pins don't get stuck in our brain because it can immobilize us. It can affect how we live. I want to just finish up with a couple of things. Another challenge. How would our thoughts change if people could read our thoughts, if our thoughts were an open book? That's kind of scary, huh? Our challenge is to think thoughts that would not embarrass us if other people knew them. The best life is lived by those who think best. Romans 12.2 says it this way, Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will know what God wants you to do, and you will know how good and pleasing and perfect his will really is. So here's a reminder. What do you do with garbage? You don't set it in the middle of your room, and you don't stare at it. Take it outside, and you dump it. And may God give us discretion to recognize garbage thoughts and put them where they belong. And don't focus on them. Don't concentrate on them. So how many of you, again, are willing to take our challenge today? Um, Sometime this week, if you watch TV, to talk to your TV and say that's garbage. How many, how many of you are willing to do it? All right, we've got maybe about 10 people or so. All right, great. Well, we're going to have our praise team come up, and uh, we're going to do our...